Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Today's programme is all about a contemporary take on clothing classics. First, we meet a brother and sister who are part of the family team behind a Madrid-based menswear brand that began after a futile search for the perfect basic T-shirt. I couldn't find a good one with heavy fabric. You can wash every day and wear for two, three years. I decided to start working on this T-shirt. And from there, I began to build up the collection. Then we catch up with the co-founders of a women's wear brand built on the versatility of its collection and the power of community. We were attracting more loyal customers that stick with us and purchase over and over again rather than being fair-weather customers that we'd have to cling on to through discounting. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Rafa Gomez is the founder of Unfeigned, a Spanish menswear line dedicated to creating superior, cleanly designed and long-lasting pieces. The venture was born out of Rafa's frustratingly unsuccessful search for a quality basic t-shirt. Now it's a thriving business and very much a family affair. Rafa, along with his siblings, created the brand in 2019, launching its first ready-to-wear collection in the UK and Germany. Since then, Unfeigned has developed its wholesale channel and expanded its presence in the US and Japan, and they've opened up shop in Madrid. Rafa and his sister, the brand's art director, Maria, popped by Midori House on a recent trip to London to chat about the start of the label and how the family makes working together work. Here's Maria, first of all, with more. I was always working in fashion, and I studied fashion, and Rafa was a hardcore user of fashion and a very passionate person about fashion. So it came naturally the idea of starting the business together. He was already dealing with a fashion company on footwear, and I was working as a stylist. And then the rest of the siblings joined organically, and it has been so much fun. (laughs) I I cannot say the opposite. And tell me a little bit about the start of the journey then. So if we go back to those early days in Malaga, I think I'm right in saying, and there was a bit more of a narrow focus. Obviously, now the collections has expanded quite quickly. But at the beginning, how, Rafa, did you set up to, what kind of products did you focus on? You wanted to bring the aesthetic and the values you spoke about, but how did you decide what the product lines would look like right at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. We Originally, we are, we are from Malaga, but we already live in Madrid at that time. So, yeah, we, as Maria told you, I was running a footwear company before. So I was already in the market, in the, let's say, fashion market. And the clothing was something was there in my mind already. But my, let's say, my first product and my first target was the, a basic T-shirt. I was, like, obsessed of the basic T-shirt, a white basic T-shirt. I wear every day a white T-shirt. So I couldn't find a, a good one, like with heavy fabric, the collar, well, you can wash every day, every day, and wear for two, three years. I decided to start working on, on this T-shirt. And from there, I began to build up the collection. Let's say the basic T-shirt, which is our bestseller now, yes. is a, it was the first product. The classic, yeah. right at the heart of the, yeah. of the stable. And it's funny, do you think that there's, tell me a bit about these values, let's unpack them in a bit more detail, because there's something... I guess it is uniquely Spanish, obviously, about it. But there is influences, there's values that are definitely global. Some of the aesthetic, as you say, has these workwear overtones. Do we think of some of our favourite Japanese brands? 
is it Spanish, Spanish, or is it international? <laughs> how, how can you des- does it matter? Does it matter how you describe it? I think it's really us the product because we are Spanish, but we are really well traveled. We love traveling. We love Asia. So yeah, I think it has like a lot of influence itself on the on the product. Inspiration comes a lot from our own lifestyle because it means a lot of city life, sports, uh, activities, traveling, family. So yeah. I think at the end of the day, we are very much inspired by Asian brands. And that's kind of like the contemporary look we achieve with the clothing. But at the end of the day, also has the Spanish roots that it's ourselves. How challenging is it, especially as a business grows and becomes more successful, to retain the family values because I guess you have to trust other stakeholders to deliver different aspects of the business does it happen quite naturally do people buy in to the family value as well or is that part as founders and as running parts of the business you have to make sure that the people you work with get the family values is that an easy process Maria to run or is it complicated yes I think it there is something very important that we all know and it's that Rafa is a boss so at the end of the day, each one deals with a department, with their own colleagues and co-workers. But we know that the final decision or whatever is going to take a step further in the company, it's also part of a conversation with him. And that makes you feel like in the final decision all the time, like it gives you responsibility, which is very good. And also the way we talk to each other and we handle every issue to each other, it's transmitted to the rest of the company. So everyone who joins the company before or after, even the interns that we have, they feel the spirit all the time because it's a very flexible, hectic, but fun environment. So I think everybody has that kind of spirit at the end of the day. At the same time, it's a challenge. But also it's a filter for us. I mean, it's a challenge because not everybody wants the same vibes also, no? We are, yes, also we are Spanish <laughs> and we're from the South. So, you know, the, the kind of a vibe in the office, no? But at the same time, it's a filter for us. Because if you are not into the, the family, let's say, now our group is a family. Mm-hmm. So we are 15 people, but it's like a big family. If the people are not into the game, mm, doesn't, we, doesn't work. Yeah. We, we move a lot about the feelings in life, yeah. Talk to me, you mentioned the store. How important is retail? I gather, you know, you're talking about your globetrotting, your love of fashion and brands that you admire, retailers that you admire. Presumably, as you travel around the world, you see aspects that you think, wow, that's good and that's good. How important is, is bricks and mortar? Because you know here at Monocle, we love storefronts. We love brick and mortar. It also enables you to develop that community with your customers in a way that just digital never will. That's our view anyway. How important is retail? I'd like to get both of your opinions on that. It's essential for us and it has been a huge step for us as a brand to have our own store in our city. Even though we started the brand with a very international focus and our expansion since the very beginning was international, it was a big step for us also to realize how much traffic and audience and potential community we could build in our town and also to gather feedback every day from the products, not even as a customer, but also from the design team, communication-wise. In many ways, it has been another channel and like a direct channel with our community. Yes, in the beginning was in the in our minds, in our strategy, no? I had already the experience in the shoe company that we we were going to put like a big base in the retail, in the wholesale, and then the direct channel and online could uh, come organically. So, yeah, I believe uh, to create a mature uh, fashion brand, 
you need to have a, a weight in the in the brick and mortar in the wholesale channel. Let's talk a bit more because you mentioned already to doing things in a sustainable way, by which presumably you mean things that are built to last as well as being sourced responsibly. But how tricky is that? Because you can have the best intentions. We know how difficult supply chains always were. And obviously pandemic and all the rest of it, it makes it so much more difficult to source exactly what you what you want. Is that one of the parts of the business where there's just no room for compromise? Kind of a non-negotiable part of, yeah, it is. of product design? It is. I mean, we, we don't want to, to get people bored about the this speech that everybody is, is having now. And we know that it's a matter of time that everybody has to be sustainable in fashion. Maria and me, we spent one year before opening the company in 2019, mm-hmm. getting certified the company in either GOAT and either GRS, which is uh, for organic uh, cotton and for recycled materials. Uh, yeah, it was a hard time, no? let's yeah. say, because you you had to find the right uh, factories, uh, the right providers of the everything, buttons, all the things. So, yeah, it was tough. Were there moments in, in 2020, because it's f- so funny on this programme, I've spoken to lots of founders who started businesses like just at the end of 2019. <laughs> there must have been those moments, presumably in 2020, when did you have this conversation like what why did we do this <laughs> what is this how or actually were you just like we double down and we're more intentional it makes us realize it was the right call what were those moments like maria we thought that from there we couldn't go down like uh, bottom line so then from there everything could be better and we trusted our, our product and we trusted rafa's instinct to know where to go and what to do, like next steps. Also, we were lucky because we already closed deals with agents, especially here in London with Palladio Showroom. We work with them since 2019, so we already got a bit of a channel in distribution, which was promising, and we were getting orders from people in lockdown. So it was all a paradox and kind of like a little bit of light of hope on those days. When we were able to go back to work, we didn't even think about it. We just put everything there and and until now. Yeah. The, the best businesses thrive, don't they, in those moments of, of volatility. We were saying in Monaco, you know, we founded in 2007, mm. went right into 2008. Yes. Yeah. And each time I think these businesses, the good ones, <laughs> it makes them, the foundation can become stronger almost, which is kind of amazing. Let me ask you a question about so many of the great brands, especially in in fashion, in manufacturing, are in Spain, they're in Portugal. And not appointing you, Rafa, as the spokesman for the entire Iberian Peninsula, but why are your brothers and sisters in that part of the world, why are you so good at doing this? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You have to answer this. (laughs) The whole thing, so many of these brands, and it's like, yeah, the best manufacturing with the best principles and purpose and great style. And constantly, it's like, Everyone looks to Spain and Portugal. It's amazing. What, what's what's in the water? It's, it's a, yeah, it's a good heritage. I think Italy and Spain and Portugal is uh, for us is our reference worldwide yeah. in making making clothes. It has been a, a long term craftsmanship tradition, textile. It has been a core industry for for a lot of years. years. Yeah. And we are kind of like taking back that tradition as well because there were many jobs and many factories who were closing like the last 20 years. Yeah. So now thanks of brands like us that decide to also produce locally, 
it gives them another chance. Mm. I like that. Kind of the it's it's new but it's old in the best way. Yeah. How well does it travel? Because obviously you've mentioned already a couple of markets and obviously presumably global expansion must be an exciting part of your vision for the future. What does that look like and how well does the brand travel? Do any aspects of the values or the style ever get lost in translation or does it move around very very elegantly? Yeah, I think uh, they are keeping the the whole essence no, of yeah. the brand in, in all the markets. Yeah, the people are understanding really well the, the concept and it's fitting really well those markets. Like, for example, in UK, we are really happy with the UK. It's our first market, really mature now. America is doing really well. Japan. Also Japan, which is, we are talking about two different That worlds. must be thrilling, right? That, yeah, that, 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 it is. That it works there. Yeah. Did you, do you have those moments still where you kind of comp? believe it Maria? is it like feedback from a customer in Kyoto it's surreal. Or... Yeah, yeah, what, what, yeah. How, how do you feel when that happens I mean it must be amazing it's surreal like for us it's something like we cannot even I mean we talk about it very naturally but when we are there like this last summer we visited uh, Seoul and Tokyo and Nagoya where our distributor is based in Japan and just seeing the pieces in the store or like taking feedback from them you cross the world to see your product there and it's being sold so it's something flattering yeah. Amazing. What's most exciting? If we look forward, Rafa, I mean, there's a really strong basis for sustained growth and you've got other members of your family who are trying to push the envelope in sales, whatever it might be. <laughs> what does that look like? How do you describe that when you're talking amongst yourselves and the leadership team about what happens next? Now we are in the in the step of opening another another store abroad. So we are in this moment right now, which is really amazing. And we are really, <laughs> really, yeah really fun of it so yeah we are visiting either Paris or London so let's see let's see what Watch happens space are we yeah. allowed to lobby are we allowed to lobby for London <laughs> or is yeah. that not allowed yeah. we can do a bit of that can. Can. That's yeah, good. Yeah. I like this food eh? by the way <laughs> it's, really, it's pretty good around here <laughs> in the neighborhood there's some good neighbors I've heard around here I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. and then Maria what about you what what are you most excited about is it continuing on this kind of crazy adventure especially with the family that must add such excitement is it about pushing your creative ambition continuing to innovate because it must be tough in a way once you start to develop some great products to keep being hungry about what other things you could do what most excites you as you look to the future yeah i think uh, it's more about like continuing the path that we have created and to maintain that solid communication and the speech and the story behind and fame everywhere in the world like what Rafa mentioned before, that the essence is perceived the same way in US or Japan, to continue with that, because I think that solid communication of the brand is something very difficult to handle as much as you grow. And I think it's a challenge, and I love challenges. So, and yeah. also I think it's very important to be patient in this kind of organic growth. A patient founder? There aren't many of those, are there? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, and to continue this patient to, yeah. the, to, the, to the group and to the, yeah, and to the whole team, because now we want to do a lot of things to be in a rush. Let's open another store here, another... Okay. Step that, by st- that kind of discipline. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. step by step, and it uh, has to be like uh, organic growth into that time, yeah. That was Rafa Gomez, the founder of Unfeigned, along with his sister, Maria, the brand's art director. And you can learn more about this excellent family business by heading to unfeignedgear.com. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. (laughs) 
Chope Delano and Natalia Barros-Vives are the co-creative directors of Kind Regards, a London-based women's wear brand founded in 2022, featuring garments defined by their versatility. The journey began two years earlier, when CEO Chope wrote an open letter calling for a broader conversation to challenge preconceived ideas of what a successful woman looks like. That was shared or viewed more than 100,000 times, and it prompted a whole new discourse around the theme, featuring thousands of women sharing their stories. On a recent visit to Midori House, Chope and design director Natalia sat down with our own Laura Kramer. Chope began by telling Laura how this viral letter became something of an extended customer survey and a rallying call. As someone who had aggressively pursued achievement from a very young age, I was maturing and realising that my first-class economics degree was not going to keep me warm. <laughs> and, and eventually my, my training kicked in. I'm a brand strategist and marketer by trade. I've spent the last eight to nine years helping startups and venture capital funds build their businesses through brand. It's been quite an aggressive commercial training. And I realised that we had incredibly rich emotional territory that was quite rare and that there was an opportunity to segue that into product through fashion. All of these women resonated so much with the emotional realities of self-defined life and so they'd equally be struggling with the functional realities of a blended, ever-evolving work life. And we could develop garments that were more fluid and so... We landed on the idea of kind regards creating a wardrobe for life's work, designing with versatility for work and life and everything in between. In the process of trying to extract our product from our philosophy, I met Natalia. I was, <laughs> I was working on my own best book practice at the time and, and running my, my own workwear business in Barcelona when we met. We actually met via Zoom call and we, funnily enough, kept working together remotely for over six months before we met in person for the first time. I am a, a trained designer and I've always tried to build my own path in, in luxury, one that had a purpose and that really resonated with me and my values. I worked on my own for the most part of my professional life and also seen luxury from the inside through working for small studios that had unique and alternative views of fashion and life. As a designer, I've always been focused not just on what women's wear, but on what women's do think and feel. And I think that has ultimately informed me and motivated me to create a smarter and better and I think I also saw a big opportunity for us as a creative duo because I think we really complement each other in our skills. She has a strategist and me as a designer. I feel as an outside, a bit of an outsider of the industry, we had the opportunity to, to build upon fresh values and, and do it in an unorthodox way. So you kind of touched a little bit on it, but maybe if I could just have you both talk about how you work together our route into being a luxury fashion brand started in storytelling. And so my role is really about finding new ways to tell the story of self-defined life and of self-defined identity. 
And I do that through social, through email, but really just through storytelling. I think there's so much joy and power in being able to connect with our community through shared values and shared stories. And the brand is rooted in conversation as much as it is in our clothing and our garments. I think there's overlap between how we work, but I think a lot about connection. How can we design clothing that connects and that you can connect with and words are really my tool as well as commerciality I I grew up working in startups venture capital funds consumer brands understanding the mechanics of operationally building a sustainable business and it's hard (laughs) many businesses aren't making any money they aren't making any profit and it's important that I'm able to bring that to this as well so that we can attack from all angles, creatively and commercially. And I think my take was how to translate that to design, not only whilst we work on how to bring products to market through pre-orders, in our case, to minimise inventory risk or with dead stock fabrics to minimise waste, but also through the power of design as a, an equal powerful tool to change the way we consume. And I think versatility is our our best way to, to work on that. And I think investing in one garment while experiencing the impact of many, it is like an honorable way to work on sustainability. That was really important for us. You've touched on something that we always talk about here, which is there's the sustainability in terms of the practices that you put in and and everything else that goes into it. But the first and foremost important thing is the sustainability of the business. Exactly. Totally. And after we released the first product, which was the jumpsuit, a jumpsuit suit hybrid that can be worn in many different ways, we sold out of that product with zero pounds in marketing spend. And that's because we had this built-in audience that acted as our distribution channel. We didn't have to pay wholesalers or pay Meta or Instagram. And not only that, but I remember there was a letter that we received from one of our customers and she said it was the first time that she had purchased something in line with her values. The first time that she'd done that exercise of building out a wardrobe in line with her values. And it made us realise that Our approach to luxury, which is driven by intimacy, honesty, one-on-one connection, as opposed to just aspiration and desirability, was feeding the business in that we were spending less on marketing and that we were attracting more loyal, more sticky customers that stick with us and purchase over and over again, rather than being fair-weather customers that we'd have to cling on to through discounting. And I think sustainability is also building up on the right purchase motivators, ones that are aligned with the brand. We are not looking for impulse purchases, but we are looking for true connection with customers and break the barrier between brand and customers and just focus on us as people who have similar needs and problems and and desires. Well, let's talk about the designs then. Let's talk about the actual product. How would you, especially as a designer, explain the aesthetic, explain the influence? Tell me about that. Our aesthetics come from everything that we dislike or we don't need. And I like to think that anything that does not serve us, we don't need to put. And so 
it's minimalistic, but not in the redundant way. Or I, as a designer, try to think of form and function in a unified way. And I've always wanted to create and reproduce beauty from nature and doing it in a three-dimensional way. So I think of garments as objects, like architecture a little bit. I like to also design with full outfits in mind. The jacket has in mind the trousers that you're going to put with or the layering and the shoes that you're going to wear with and what you're going to do with it throughout the day. So I feel like design is one part, but also it comes to life through wear and through motion and movement. And I think that really determines design. It's also garments that evolve with you throughout your days as our days evolve and change. It's about garments that are able to flex to the demands of daily life with ease, but also elegance. We think a lot about being the antidote to athleisure in that it's not about sacrificing design in favour of function, but it's about blending the two so the two can coexist and so we can move between the many different contexts and the many different people that we have to be day in, day out without sacrifice. We do that through working exclusively with dead stock fabrics and operating with pre-orders so that it comes to life in a way that, that minimises waste. So our second garment is the fluid ball top, which is a garment that's made from 100% fine wool sourced from Japan and Corozo buttons that were sourced from Ecuador. And it's a garment that transforms and can be worn in four different positions. So today I'm wearing it in position two. It has a scarf that cocoons and supports, but it can also be worn in a way that is a little bit more dressy, a little bit more casual. And It was the truest expression of our evolving ethos of designing with versatility for every eventuality and every identity. Yeah, talk to me a little bit because obviously that level of design and versatility and mobility within the garments, that's going to take a level of craftsmanship involved. And manufacturing is a really big part of that. Tell me about that process. We have found through our first two garments that have come to market that it is indeed a long and complex process to develop a garment. And so I think our approach is to keep building product by product and releasing one product after the other so that it allows us to truly work on crafting the piece well enough so that it feels well, it fits well, And yeah, and it is really what we thought and it's not because of the rush ends up being something different. So I think our process is really thorough. And there's so much trial and error. You have to build strong relationships with the manufacturers, with the pattern cutters, with the people that are bringing that piece to life, especially when it's a piece that is a little unconventional. It transforms into different positions. We have to think about it in this 360 way and... Our journey throughout these two products has led us to really nurture and deepen the relationships with the people who are bringing these garments to life, craftsmen, artists in so many ways. And so there are the two products right now. What is the plan for the future in terms of of the next one? I'm sure it's already being dreamt up. (laughs) Yes, it is. Things are coming up this Christmas. Uh, We have another 
set, inspired by our first, our first one, uh, the jumpsuit suit hybrid, but it has evolved in the same ways that we have. It is more suited to our new vision, evolved vision of fluidity, of ergonomity and ergonomy, and I think that it, it's really gonna make a, an impact. And I, I feel it is an upgrade on the first one. And aside from the next garment, what can we expect from Kind Regards in the future in terms of the direction in general of the brand? I think we really want to keep scaling intimacy, scaling the intimacy that we've managed to develop with our community. It's incredibly hard to be discovered as a young brand and to have an audience as a distribution channel feels like a really exciting space to be playing and we want to keep finding new stories around self-defined life that spark intrigue and joy and interest and keep building a strong and trusted relationship with our customer base. That's what feels exciting and also a path to scale in luxury in a way that is a little bit different. I think the industry of luxury is is so exciting. It's outperformed other industries, even technology over the past 15 years when you look at shareholder returns. But in order to keep extracting value, we have to do things differently. There is a volume issue. There is a discounting issue. There is the cost of returns. There is the cost of fair weather customers and dealing with trying to generate repeat purchases. There is so much about the way that luxury is currently coming to life that could be improved creatively and operationally and continuing to build a brand and business that sustains and scales through our audience is is what the future brings is what is what the future will bring that was Chope Delano and Natalia Barros Vives of Kind Regards you can learn more about the brand by heading to kindregards.studio that's also where you can put your name on the waitlist for the new jumpsuit. Orders open up on Wednesday, the 6th of December. And that's all for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. And look out for Eureka, available every Friday. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. You can follow us and catch up with the archive at monocle.com or via your preferred podcast platform. And to contact the team, write to Laura. She's on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening. <laughs>